Hey there, sports fans. Welcome to second the Second Take Podcast, your go-to source for in-depth discussions on all things NFL and NBA. I'm your host, Ryan, and we're diving deep into the aftermath of the NFL Conference Championship Games, breaking down the results and exploring what the losing teams can do to bounce back stronger next season. But that's not all. We're shifting gears to the hardwood where the NBA has been lighting up the scoreboard with some draw-dropping dropping performances. Luca had 73 points. Joel, not, not too far behind, with 70. We'll be break, breaking down these incredible performances and asking the big question, is there anyone out there ready to take a shot at Wilt Chamberlain's legendary 100-point game? So whether you're a diehard football fan or a hoops enthusiast, settle in and join me and my co-host Roland as we dissect the latest and greatest in the world of sports. This is Second Take, where every play deserves a second look. And let's go ahead and get started <clears throat> with the NFL. We're looking at the Lions versus the Niners. That was a game when the Lions were winning most of the game. It looked like they were going to get to the Super Bowl, and they just couldn't pull it off at the end. Roland, what are your initial thoughts on this game? Oh, man. That's, it's just disappointing. I mean, I've been picking the Niners the entire year, so being right is totally fine by me. However, as a unbiased fan of this game, because I don't have any skin in it, I really wanted the Lions to pull this one out, dude. I really did. And at the end of the day, playing ultra-aggressive came back to bite them. I know that they've played that way all year. I know they've gone on it in fourth and short all year. But you got to take the points when they're given to you, right? It all started in that second half when they went for it on fourth and two. Um, they kick a field goal there. It's a three-score game. It's only like a 40-yard field goal. I know that field goals aren't a guaranteed thing in the NFL, but that one was a pretty much a gimme if you're a professional, right? After that, San Francisco was able to go on a 27-0 run. 27 unanswered points to the, uh, leading up to the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter. Um, Brock Purdy did his thing, mostly on the ground. I mean, he had 267 passing, a touchdown. But the big plays were made when he scrambled and he kept things alive. That's what really broke the Detroit defense. McCaffrey had himself a game, 20 carries, 90 yards, two touchdowns. But the momentum, I have never seen a game quite like that outside of the infamous Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl where the momentum just switched like that. As soon as they got that stop on fourth and two, it was all San Francisco the rest of the way. Yeah, and I remember I was watching the game and the Lions went for that fourth down and you texted me and you're like, dude, why did they do that? Yeah. And from that point forward... They, you know, San Francisco go, go got the ball. They went down and scored. <clears throat> the Lions got the ball back. They fumbled it. The Niners got great field position. Score. They scored again. And like to your point, the Lions were doing everything good in the first half. They're moving the ball, playing defense. McCaffrey had a rough first half of the he game. Did. And then the second half, you brought up what was the biggest difference for that Niners offense, at least to be able to move the ball and score besides the momentum that the defense created with their stops was Brock Purdy running the ball really did open up things for everyone else and 
as soon as the Lions had to start accounting for that, McCaffrey was getting going again. They were able to get Ayuk. Ayuk actually had a couple of really good catches as well in that game. Well, that catch where it bounced off the face mask of the defender and then he caught it. You know, he said after the game that a ladybug had landed on his foot pregame. So he knew that it was he was going to have a good game. It's just. It but was his lucky the, day for sure. It was lucky. That was lucky as, yeah, all can be. But credit needs to be given to San Francisco because you do need to come back and make the plays to come back. But this was more of a collapse on part of Dan Campbell and uh, the receivers. Just dropping balls everywhere. Josh um, Reynolds had some tough drops. Two of them that I remember. Freaking looking like Kadarius Tony out there. Like two huge drops. And honestly, they not only were aggressive on that first fourth and two, but they doubled down on it late in the fourth. I'm just like, if you would have just attempted two field goals, you have the lead. Like, that's that's what matters there, because not only would the momentum not had shifted so much, because you go up 27-10, it's still a three-score game. There's still a lot more pressure on the offense. I'm telling you, it was... Almost as if it was a light switch once the Niners got that stop, that first fourth down stop. From there, Detroit had lost the game. And, I mean, I one of Dan Campbell, like, he's one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. I think he's fantastic, but I, like, they've been aggressive all year. It's been their play style. But at the same time, that's usually a decision that they're making in their games that are close already. They did already have the lead. They were already up. And all they really had to do was at least play even to finish the game. They didn't even have to go out and kill them or anything like that. They could just, you know, take their points when they're there, control the clock, make San Francisco take time to go down and score. But, you know, it is a questionable decision by Dan Campbell for sure. I don't think he or the team regrets it. I think they're going to keep playing like that all you know, the rest of the, their time going forward. But, you know, it's that's got to be a heartbreaker for Lions fans. And I know Niners fans were definitely nervous there for a sec. But that team, when they smelled blood in the water, you could, oh, not, they went after you could not stop them. They went after it. On that offensive side of the ball, as, as soon as they realized they had a chance, it was over. 27 unanswered. They ended up going up by 10 points. And then there was another questionable decision um, that might be kind of going under the radar was that last final drive where Detroit scored. They had to take a timeout to get in the end zone. I think it would have been better had they just kicked a field goal and had the three timeouts to have a legit chance to get a stop. Because with two timeouts and it's past the two-minute warning, you can just kneel out the game. right? You can literally just hand the ball off and the game's over. Whereas if you kick a field goal... There's still 40, 50 seconds left. You have three timeouts. You have a chance to get the ball back. I know it'd be a Hail Mary, but a Hail Mary, statistically speaking, is more likely to happen than an onside kick recovery, just ever since they changed the rules. So that was another kind of mishap on Dan Campbell's part. Shout out to him for getting the Lions here so quickly. I mean, coach of the year, probably, in my opinion. Um, But it did not look good. They also... Didn't run the ball quite as much in the second half for whatever reason. They were running all over the place in the first half. And they kind of 
got a little bit more finesse driven. But man, if you're a Lions fan or just a fan of the underdog in this one, this one stings like no other. I mean, on a brighter side, at least for the Detroit Lions is, you know, last year they were good. They ended the season very well. And then they came up again this year. They were even better. They took more than one step forward. They took multiple steps forward. Yeah. And I still think the future for this team is bright. I mean, looking at that on at their team, too, they don't necessarily need a ton of improvements. I mean, they're obviously they finished in the final four. So th- these top teams need less improvements than some of the other teams we talked about. But looking at their offseason, I definitely think they need to prioritize. I got two big things for them. Number one is that pass defense. Uh, their pass defense got absolutely worked throughout the course of the season. And they they just need a lot more help back there. Their run defense was actually pretty solid uh, for the season. And then I also go with wide receiver depth because they have St. Brown as their number one guy, go-to guy, really good receiver. They have Laporte at the tight end spot. But I think, you know, if anything, you know, Josh Reynolds had a couple drops. They had a couple other guys. If they had another wide receiver or two out there, I think that really would have helped them in this game. So I think just adding some depth there and bulking up that pass defense. Um, And the Lions, I think they have enough young guys. I think they have the coaching staff. I think they can definitely be back here next year. They definitely have a bright future. Uh, But like Dan Campbell said in the press conference, you know, this can be your only shot. You know, we've seen a lot of teams kind of have this magical run and never get back into that situation. Uh, Just ask Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. You know what I mean? You could have all the talent in the world. You could lock up the one seed in the conference. The playoffs is a different animal in the NFL, especially when it's one and done. And you got to seize the moment when you can. But on a bright side, like you're saying, they have a lot of young talent. Just need to buffer up that pass defense and they'll be one of the top five teams in the NFL for years to come if they can keep their playmakers on the payroll. Yeah, you know, not everyone can be the Kansas City Chiefs and get back there every Not everyone has Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you know, and speaking of... Randy Reid has a coach. Speaking of uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Ravens versus the Chiefs was... Mm. I know the score was 17-10, to but to be honest, it didn't feel like it was that close. I mean, what were your thoughts of the game? My thoughts are this. They, they're summed up like this. The Baltimore Ravens failed to save us from a Taylor Swift Super Bowl. Hmm. To sum it up, Lamar Jackson was very disappointing. He had that fumble early in the first half, and then that back-breaking INT in the fourth quarter. You, why are you throwing that into triple coverage? You know, It just seemed that Jackson couldn't handle the pressure, both from the Chiefs' kind of high blitz frequency scheme and the moment. I thought deep down in my heart, I wanted this narrative of Lamar Jackson underperforming in the playoffs to go away. And that just wasn't the case. Now, it's not all his fault. Zay Flowers, after taunting the corner, oh, the fumble, fumbled dude. it on the half yard line. You know, he had a great game, but that, yeah. that play hurt a lot. That play hurt crazy. And then why on earth, if you are the best rush offense in the the NFL, do you only run the ball 16 times? They only ran the ball collectively as a unit 16 times for 81 yards. They averaged five yards per carry on the ground, and they abandoned it. Whoever signed off on that offensive scheme going away from what you know you're good at is idiotic. 
So it's not all on Lamar. I know it's pretty easy to kind of say, oh, Lamar, terrible interception, had that fumble. You know, at the end of the day, couldn't get it done. But that offensive play calling where it was so pass heavy, Lamar was 20 for 37. You know, Lamar's a good quarterback. He's not 30 for 39 like Patrick Mahomes. You got to play to your strong suit. I think all your running backs, man. What the heck? I think the biggest thing that uh, deterred Baltimore from choosing to run the football was the fact that Kansas City, every time they had the ball, especially that first half, their first three possessions, they absolutely controlled everything that happened. Right. They they took the clock down. They had the ball control. They were converting on their third downs. You know, they were converting first downs. Travis Kelsey was looking really good. Uh, They even had one of those crazy plays when. Mahomes escape pressure, got hit through a wobbling ball, and Travis Kelsey catches it. Like, yeah, they just had some crazy stuff. I felt Baltimore. I think Baltimore felt that pressure, and specifically Lamar Jackson going back to the pick. I mean, that's the third time we've seen it in this postseason already. A quarterback throws a pick late in the game trying to make a play. I just think he was feeling it that he had to do something and he had to be the guy to make a play. And honestly, he really just needed to go and live another down. If, that, if, if we learned anything in this playoffs from these QBs' late game performances, it's better to just live another live down. to fight another day. Yep, exactly. Time. You can't be Superman every play. You can't force it to happen all the time. Right? Not saying take away your instincts and not try to step up and win, but you, you got to pick and choose your moments. Got to pick and choose your moments, right? And another thing uh, for me, I mean, this is kind of a Chiefs offseason thing, but this game just solidified it for me even more. Chris Jones is a free oh, agent for the Chiefs this year. Bro, that get him under dude, contract. What are you doing? He was so good in this Huge. game. Game changer, batting balls, like getting tackles for loss. Like this guy was all over the place. Kansas City, like, because Kansas City's defense in this game proved they, like, They've been proving all year they're super legit, but all they year. stopped one of the best offenses in the league in the playoffs. And a big part of that is Chris Jones. They better bring him back. They scared Chris Jones and that defensive line basically scared Baltimore away from running the ball, which is what they were good at. You know, credit given to Kansas City. It's not like Baltimore had it easy because Kansas City's defense, fantastic. Um, but if you're if you're the Chiefs, you need to sign that guy. You know, I don't. If you want to keep this going, you got to sign him. I don't care if they win the Super Bowl or not. They need to bring him back just because of how you can't replace a guy like that. He's basically, I feel like he's basically becoming on like that Aaron Donald level because he was always thought of as like a step below him, but he's definitely there. He's, he's, he's that kind of guy. Well, if anything, it's getting a lot closer because Donald clearly, you know, not quite the same. Isn't the same peak Aaron Donald. I think that's safe to say. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he's washed because he's still an excellent player. But he's not the guy that, you know, it takes four dudes to block anymore. <laughs> two two is enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Chris Jones is definitely 1A, 1B with that guy at their position, Aaron Donald. And if you're the Chiefs, you got to sign him. But at the end of the day, I really think Baltimore had – the chance to win this game, both with the Zay Flowers fumble, the forced triple coverage interception, and then even after that, they were able to come down and kick a field goal. So if even just one of those drives went their way, they were headed into overtime. 
Most definitely. And I mean, looking at the Ravens kind of outlook in this offseason, they have a couple key guys who are free agents. They have Odell Beckham Jr., their guard, Kevin uh, Zeitler, and their linebacker, Patrick McQueen, or not McQueen. We're not talking about Lightning McQueen here. Lightning. But Patrick McQueen, the linebacker. Or Patrick Queen. Wow. <laughs> I really like cars today, dude. Just on that cars thing. But anyways, so the biggest question I have for you, Odell Beckham Jr. this season was solid. He had about 500 receiving yards, three touchdowns, $15 million was his contract this season. He's a free agent. Should the Ravens bring back OBJ, or do you think they could like use that money elsewhere or bring him back depending on what his contract is? What do you think they should do with him? I personally wouldn't put it on top of my priority list if I'm Baltimore. You know, he's a, he's a good receiver. You can get that type of production from somebody else, probably for cheaper just because they don't have the name attached to it. Um, Odell is a big game player, but he's definitely towards the end of his career. So I do not put that on top of my priority list. I would only sign him if it's a team-friendly deal, to be honest. Yeah, I'm 100% on board with that. I will sign him if he's signing for a cheaper front price, but he if he's still demanding, like these double figure contracts i'm probably gonna say pass i'm gonna re-sign patrick queen uh kevin zeitler is really good too i'm gonna look elsewhere for a wide receiver like you said um and maybe look at improving that run defense which was probably the biggest weakness of the team maybe a little bit but um i definitely think uh i'm not giving him that big contract well to your point there even though they have a, do they have their first? I mean, I don't think they've traded it away or anything. But even though they have a late first round pick, this draft is so deep at the wide receiver position that they could honestly probably replace him just with a pick. So I would not prioritize Odell at that kind of money. Again, team friendly deal for sure. But yeah, I mean, in a good way to look at it, I think Zay Flowers was the twenty second pick in last year's draft. I mean, obviously their pick won't be that high, but you can find guys. I mean, Rashid Rice, if they could get a player like that in the draft, I mean, the Chiefs got him in like the third round, maybe, you know, a little bit uh, late early round kind of pick. So you can definitely find guys and they aren't on that same type of contract. And, you know, to be able to re-sign your really good players, you have to make sacrifices and choose what you really want. Yeah. Anything else on football before we move forward? No, I just can't believe we're going to have a Taylor Swift Super Bowl. Um, they're going to show her more than they do Travis Kelsey when he scores. So be ready for that, football fans. I'm surprised that she's not running the halftime show already. So, yep. Lord so, save us. Don't forget, next week we will talk about the Super Bowl on next week next week's episode of the pod. So don't forget to tune into that if you're interested. Um, <clears throat> and then transitioning, the NBA – has had an individual scoring surge with recent games of 62 from Booker, 64 from Cat, 70 for Embiid, 73 from Luka. Last year, Donovan and Dame had 71 points. Going forward, 70-point games may start to become more common. Will Chamberlain's 100-point game is starting to seem more and more breakable. Roland, A- is a 100-point game obtainable 
And B, who is a player you think could possibly break that record if so? I personally think it's going to be extremely difficult for that record to ever be broken. Mostly because if you have a scoring performance like that from someone, they're most likely not going to be playing you know, the entirety of the game. Granted, Luka versus Atlanta had to score all those points in order for them to win. Booker and Towns both lost in those crazy scoring performances. Joel was the only one that ended up, well, no, the Mavericks won. But, but they won by double figures, I think. Yeah, the the they took Sixers. Them out. Yeah, they took them it out. It was, wasn't very close. So if it were to be broken, which I kind of doubt just because of how that works, it will be Joel Embiid for me. Um, for reference, I believe that Joel Embiid is having one of, if not the best, scoring season of all time. Hear me out. For reference, Michael Jordan, his best scoring season was in 1986 and 87. That was the year, you know, where he scored 37 points a game, played 40 minutes per game, which averaged out to 0.92, if you round up, points per minute played. Okay. Wilt Chamberlain, the year where he scored 100 points in a game, averaged 50, 50.4 points per game in a freaking, that's ridiculous. However, he played 48 and a half minutes. How is that possible? He played literally the entire time and they went into overtime. That's ridiculous to me. So that's an average of 1.04 points per minute played. Joel Embiid currently this season in 2023 and 2024 is averaging 36 points per game on 34 minutes per game. That is the highest points per minute rate at 1.06. So it's better than Wilt's best season. It's better than Jordan's best season points per minute played. The only thing that's really holding Joel, M ba Joel Embiid back is the fact that he's not playing 40 minutes a game. Otherwise, his scoring average would probably be around 40. So uh, if there's anyone that can beat Wilt's season, Wilt's single game scoring record, I have to go with Embiid just because the numbers don't lie there. You know, when we were thinking of who <clears throat> we wanted to pick for this, I created a criteria list, a criteria okay. list of saying, yes, it is possible to get 100 points. But I have a list of things that either the player needs to have or that needs to happen during the game. It proceeds as it needs to be a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot. So not Clay Thompson, right? He's just not going to have the usage. Their team also can't be too good like the Celtics and Jason Tatum. I agree. Where they won't yeah. get the shots needed. They need to, to be on a subpar team for sure. Yeah, yeah. At least a team that's good, that doesn't suck, but like they're not too good. Which is they funny because be I'm including Joel yeah. Embiid, and they're one of the five best teams in the league. Mm. But, but their personnel allows it, so he gets a lot of shots. Yeah, it's right? true. Kind of like the Houston Harden, like, He's getting the shots like before mm -hmm. anyone else. So, well, he's the that. reason why they're that good. So. Yeah, and they also need to be. Sh they also need to shoot good from the field in that game, right? Um, I think they need to have make at least ten threes or more. Is what I'm saying. Mm. I'm I saying don't know, ten though. threes. I think it. I think it's more how many free throw attempts you get up. Like if you you got to get up twenty plus. You know what well, I mean? At that, my next point. 
And you need to be able to draw fouls and make 20-plus free throws was yeah. my next You're one. You're not scoring 100 <laughs> unless you score 25 from the nope. free throw line. They also need to be able to have some size so they can shoot over doubles and contests, right? A little guy like Trey Young or even Dame or Donovan, I don't hard time. think they can quite get there. Yeah, because as, as soon as you start sending two, three guys at them, they're just not going to be big enough to get the same shots off. True. And lastly, the game has to be close so they can play a lot of minutes. Yeah. No, my biggest, yeah, my biggest argument against Joel Embiid is a. I don't know if he can get there based on the three point shooting usage, and I don't know if he's going to play enough minutes in the game to get there. Those are my only two things because I thought about him for sure. He's a guy who basically meets all my requirements except the three-point shooting requirements and the minute, minutes requirements. So those are my two biggest concerns for Joel Embiid. Um, my only thing with him about Embiid that is currently he's the only player that is efficient enough with his scoring ability and the time that he is given to make that make sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's literally scoring 1.05, 1.06 points per minute played. Whereas I don't feel anyone else in the NBA is actually one-to-one with the minutes that they play. Again, to your point, the only thing that would hold him back is the fact that he doesn't play most of the fourth quarters. Yeah, and I and I also think too, so like if a player like Joel were to get it and maybe he's not hitting that three-point mark, he needs more than 20 free throws. Like we got to be talking like 30 True. free throws, right? Um, that's probably my biggest thing with him. I went with Luca. The guy who just scored 73, I know it might be kind of boring. You're an easy pick, but I think he matches my criteria pretty well. He's a big guard, handles the ball a lot. High volume of threes that are self-created, right? True. That he does, that he shoots. Um, He's very good at dictating the game and getting to the free throw line. He can score in the paint, and he's a passing threat. So players who are shooting threats around him, you can't just completely leave them, or he's going to torch you passing the ball. And his current supporting cast is solid, but it's not too good to hold him back. He's a clutch player, right? He has that dog in him, one of those guys. And when he scored 73 points, he did it on 33 shots. That was it. He made eight threes, 15 free throws, and 44 minutes. So honestly, if he got up, if he was getting up some more shots, some more threes, he might have been, he might have really had a chance there. But that's why I like Luca to be the guy who I think has the best chance to score 100. I I don't hate that pick at all. He used my number two. Mm. Just for the fact that he has the ball literally 24-7 in the game. Whereas Embiid, he doesn't bring the ball down the court. So you need to to get get him the ball. But like I said, I just think Embiid gets easier shots. Yeah. Comparatively. He's more dominant. Because he's so big. And he's so, he can shoot good enough to where you have to respect it. He can put the ball on the floor, but his post-up's unguardable. So whereas Luca, even though he's as guardable as the, he's un, he's as unguardable as they come, I think uh, he really has to ha- catch fire. I mean, anyone does. Yeah, but personally, Embiid scores the most efficiently because it's so easy for him. Whereas Luca. He makes it look easy, but the type of shots he's shooting are he can go three for t- 15 from three one game or go six for eight, you know? Yeah. And that was my biggest um, swing factor 
on Luca is his threes because he's not a great three point shooter, but he shoots the very difficult threes and a high volume of them. So of course his percentage isn't going to be as good. And that's the biggest thing with him is he needs to be hot from three in that game. And you know, us talking about getting to 100, I mean, this is like regulation, regulation assumed. Um, if a game goes into OT or a double OT, it gets even more likely if someone's having one of these big time games that someone gets there. I agree. Um, yeah, your biggest argument is the fact that Luca literally has the ball all the time and he creates everything for them and he's on a worser team that yeah. does play a part here where literally they are so dependent on his offense to be viable. I mean, Kyrie's a great player and all, but it's Luca's show. Whereas in Philadelphia, you have other pieces around him that are more capable of going off. Tyrese Maxey can yeah, take shots supporting away from cast. Him. They have a better supporting cast. They're also in more of a position currently to actually win something, whereas Dallas doesn't really. And that plays a part. Uh, You're not going to play Embiid the last six minutes of the game if you're up 15. Yeah. No. To chase the record. Whereas if you're Dallas, you're not really playing for anything else, right? Hey, so, they, they have fallen to, I think, the eight seed now. So they're trending down. Like, that just means Luka's going to play even more. Luka and Kyrie are just going to get more minutes because their team is starting to get a little bit more desperate. Yeah. The only thing, I just cannot ignore Joel Embiid's efficiency. The fact that he can literally score at will. He's having one of, if not the best scoring seasons in the history of basketball on an efficiency basis. And the only thing that I'm really pissed off about him is the fact that he's a world-class ducker. The guy does not want to play in Denver. Nope. Joel, just go play. Go play in Denver. What are you doing? Hey, outside of that fantastic player, I mean, kind of chokes in the playoffs, but to be to, and you know, the worst thing is he's probably not going to win MVP because he's not going to play enough games with the uh, new requirements. So Shay, here comes your MVP season. Anyways, bro called it. Anyways, uh, my my other outside pick for someone to get to 100 would be Wemby was my kind of dark horse pick. Just because he's a rookie, we haven't seen the the best of him yet, right? He's very tall. You cannot contest his shot. It's just not possible, right? He can handle well for his size, scores inside out. If he develops his three-point shot to be on the money, I just don't know how you're going to be able to stop that guy. Just easy money, bigger version of KD maybe. Who knows for sure, but he's so big and shifty, dunking on people in the paint. I think he he's going to be one of those guys as he develops who's going to have that chance and should be in that conversation. What's funny about Wemby is kind of like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is regarded as one of the best scorers in the NBA history, not so much because of his output. He doesn't really go off for 50 points that often. The consistency, though. Compared to what... You know, we come to expect. I would, I would think Kevin Durant is one of the top three fifty-point scorers in the history of the NBA. Yeah. Where he's just not that guy. He's more of a. I only have to take fifteen shots to score thirty points. That's kind of Kevin Durant. He's not super high usage offensively, which is wild because he literally is. <laughs> he could everything. be. He could be, but he just never is, which honestly shocks me. I see that kind of play more out of Wimby, especially in San Antonio. 
being that they just try to play basketball the right way outside of this year when they're playing a power forward at point guard. Mm-hmm. But um, Wimby definitely has the talent to do so. Even though, to be honest, I don't even know if it's ever going to happen. But it might he not. Is talented but... enough. I just kind of look at his game and say, okay, he's going to shoot twenty times to give you forty. 12 block, 12 rebounds, you know, five blocks kind of a deal where he, I think he has more Kevin Durant to his game than James Harden is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And you need that James Harden, Luka Doncic, uh, shot kind of shot hunting, hunting. Yeah. Type, type play style in order to hit there. Otherwise it's not happening. Don't disagree with that. You got anything else on these high scoring NBA games? No, I just think it's wild. It's fun to see, but at the same time, we're almost numb to it, no? Yeah, it's like every week something crazy happens and you don't even care anymore. It it just, the higher the number gets, that's when you really start to feel it, right? Like the Luca 73 and the Joel 70 felt a little something. The cat and the Booker 60, you don't really feel it as much, you know? Well, five years ago, 60 points was a big deal. 50 points was a big deal. Yeah. Nowadays, 50 points is just, oh, cool. You know, we've had 10 other people do it this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So really, the threshold's moved. The new four, 60 is the new 40. It's crazy Basically. to say. But that's that's what we've gotten to in the NBA. And personally, I feel like we need to shift gears a little bit more closer to 2004. I know 2004 was crazy. 63 points in, in a finals game. But oh, you need, man. You need a little bit more of an antagonist when you're trying to score. Because out here, we're just having layup lines and three-point shooting contests. And it's honestly not as fun to watch until the playoffs come around. It's just so difficult because the guys are so much better now that in order, I just think it takes so much more to stop these guys who are skilled. Like, like sometimes, like, what can you really do, right? Some of these dudes are 6'10". They can dribble and shoot, and it's just like... You know, once the playoff comes, you have, you know, you get your specifics uh, and your game plan in order. But just up until that point, you know, in the regular season, it's just so hard to just max out every night against guys that have teams that have four or five dudes who are like this. So I will agree with you that talent wise, the NBA has never been as deep as it is now. Everyone can shoot. Everyone can play make. It's crazy. However. The defense is being handicapped by a couple of things, and I did a little bit of research here. In 2018, the freedom of movement rule was in place. That meant that you cannot impede an offensive player's, like if they're trying to cut off ball, you cannot stop them from going to where they want to go, allowing for the Stephs of the world to do what they do. Right? Um... Modern day officiating, officiating has changed quite drastically from even the 90s till now. The gather step wasn't a thing, which basically allows intelligent basketball players nowadays to take three steps and not travel. I mean that's that's what it is. It's basically, essentially, if you, take if you haven't picked up the ball fully yet, it exactly. doesn't count as a you real take step. four. So the gather step has basically made it impossible to stay in front of a player like Kyrie, Luca, Harden, Steph, anyone. Name it. Name anyone that has a good handle, Trey. It's impossible to stay in front of these guys because they can literally step back, 
hesitate to take two steps, haven't touched, haven't gathered the ball yet, and then continue to dribble again. Right. And then uh, I know this is the big one that everyone talks about hand checking. You know, it's gone, which honestly, I, I think that's fine to leave out. But we might need to start revisiting this whole push and narrative that the NBA is trying to do of let's try to get all these teams to score 130 plus and give throw the defense a little bit more of a bone. I will say there are a few things. So I know what you're talking about. There's definitely been an era in the 2010s until, you know, 2020 very recently where they were having all these rules helping out the offense. But I actually think recently they've made some more rules to help the defense out a little bit more. So, like, you can't do the swipe through foul, right? You don't get the shooting foul. You can't do the pump fake and the jump through foul Mm -hmm. anymore. So they've been taking away some of those ridiculous officiating calls that have helped the defense out a little bit. Um, But it's definitely still, I think, offensive friendly overall. But just recently I've noticed they've been making a little bit more defensive oriented calls. Um, I definitely, I wouldn't mind seeing hand checking, honestly, because just having a hand on someone doesn't really affect someone too much unless they're in the air or if it is a shove or a push. And I think that would definitely make things more interesting. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it is uh, definitely easier to score. And that with a combination of everyone just being so much better leads to these crazy numbers. I'm not trying to take anything away from the NBA players because the average NBA player today is so much better than even just 10 years ago. It's crazy. The mere fact that there is so much more spacing, people are getting a lot better at shooting threes, which makes it inherently that much easier to score because there's more space around the rim to operate. Um, But there is such a stark difference between playoff basketball and regular season basketball. There is more so than there ever has. And it honestly, as a fan, turns me off a little bit to the regular season. You know, it's hard to watch these games that get up to 140 because it's like, is anybody trying to play defense? Um, I just I think they need to bring it a little bit more closer, a little bit closer to playoff atmosphere basketball in the regular season because. Honestly, as a fan, it's sometimes difficult to watch. Hmm. For sure. I mean, if anyone listening, let us know what you think. What do you think about these high-scoring performances? Do you agree? Do you like to see the higher-scoring games? Or do you prefer a little more tough, a little more grinded out, a little less scoring where it matters more? Balance. Every balance. Bucket? That's what yeah. we need is balance. Balance. We don't want to go all the way back to 2004 Detroit Pistons. But we don't want to be the 2013-14 Indiana Pacers. You know what I mean? We need a balance. Yeah. Good point. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Second Take Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our breakdown of the NFL Conference Championship games and the NBA high-scoring performances. But before we go, we ask you a quick favor. If you loved what you heard today and you want more of Second Take, make sure you rate us five stars on Spotify. Your feedback means a lot to us, and it only helps us grow. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on YouTube on the YouTube channel. We've also got some shorter content on there if you're interested. So thanks for tuning in. Until next time, this is Ryan and Roland signing off from the Second Take Podcast. We'll catch you in the next episode.